Well, good morning. It's always good to be with God's people and open up God's word and hear what the Lord wants to speak to us this morning. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, we're going to consider the entire chapter. I think it'll be helpful for us to see that the God who was at work in the people of the nation of Israel many years ago is still the God who is at work today. And the troubles that are fa- that were faced by the people of old are the same troubles that we face today. Ruth chapter 3, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. This is what the word of the Lord says. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that I may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet. Until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And, I, and, and he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it. And she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it in on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare? My daughter. Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty handed to your mother in law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out 
or the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for providing for for us your word. We pray, Father, that you would use this time together, that you would encourage our hearts, that our lives would be even transformed through these brief moments. Father, I pray that you would use even the words of my mouth for your glory and to the benefit of this congregation. Father, I don't presume to be able to do this in my own strength and effort. Therefore, I'm utterly and totally dependent on the power of your Spirit to use the words of my mouth and cause them to be uh, profitable for your people. So I pray, Father, that you would use this time for your glory and to the praise of your name, and you would make this time fruitful. It is through Christ we pray. Amen. I usually begin my sermons with questions, and today will be no different. The question that I want to propose to you this morning is, what are you afraid of? What keeps you up at night? What nags in the pack of your mind during the day? What is it that frightens you? If there is a common denominator here this morning that lumps us all together as one single whole is the reality that we're all afraid. We are all afraid of something. Genesis 3 tells us that the root of sin is doubt. Adam and Eve doubted God's word, God's word. And it is no wonder that wherever there is doubt, there is fear. Because there is uncertainty. And that is why we read that Adam tells God he was afraid. If you could sum up the human existence with two adjectives after Adam's sin, it would be that we are people who are doubtful and fearful. So I ask again, what frightens you? Is it fears for the safety of your loved ones? Is it fear for safety for you? Are you afraid of how you will die? Will it be a progressively debilitating disease? Will it be cancer, Alzheimer's, being alone, being poor? Are future decisions scaring you? Will everything turn out as planned? Or is it the war that's escalating in Ukraine? with all the potential ramifications? Do you fear not being loved or alone? What do you fear? Do you fear that you might lose your figure, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your hair, your youth, your mind, your money, your job, your spouse, your health, your hobbies, your purpose, your faith? What is it that you fear? 
Ed Welch wrote in his book, Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest, anytime you love or want something deeply, you will notice fear and anxieties because you might not get them. Anytime you can't control the fate of those things you want or love, you will notice fears and anxieties because you might lose them. This morning, I am preaching as a fearful man to fearful men and women. Brothers and sisters, here this morning, we're all afraid of something. And what is true for us is also true, was also true for Naomi and Ruth, but particularly for Ruth. She had no family with her. She was in a foreign land. She was not supposed to be in that land according to the law of Moses, so there was uncertainty there. She was a young woman during a very dark period in the history of Israel. She was a widow, alone, unprotected, without financial security. Ruth was scared. She was afraid. I can only imagine the questions that would come in and out of Ruth's mind about what was going to happen to her. What would the end look like? Will life be okay? And yet, even in the uncertainty and fear that no doubt gripped her heart, God in His mercy, was providing comfort, hope, and rest. For it is God alone, the only one, who will give our souls the rest we need. It is in God alone that we find the rest for our weary souls. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. In God alone do we find rest for our weary souls. In God alone, we find rest. This morning, I want to look at our story in three parts that will help us track the unfolding of the events. I want to look at the plan for rest, the place of rest, and the assurance of rest. If we look at the book of Ruth as a play... Uh, we are now considered to be in the third act. The introductory scene was Ruth 1, 1 through 5, where we meet the characters of the story. Uh, we don't meet Boaz in those first five verses, but we, we meet Ruth and we meet Naomi, who will be of high importance throughout, as we've seen throughout the narrative. We see that the famine struck, that Elimelech flees to Moab, Malon, Kilion, and Elimelech die in the land of Moab, and Naomi is alone and empty. It's setting up the stage for what's going to happen next. In Act 1, which is verses 6 to 22 of chapter 1, we see that Naomi hears that God has been gracious to his people, and she returns with Ruth the Moabite, although she's disgruntled, although she's upset because of her lot in life, she nonetheless returns. In Act 2, which was the last sermon, and it covers all of Ruth, chapter 2, we see that Ruth providentially meets this man named Boaz. God was orchestrating all these events to bring about his purposes. 
And at the end of chapter 2, Naomi is for the first time hopeful about the future. And now in our chapter, we see that Naomi is seeking rest for Ruth. And now in the first five verses, we see the plan. When we last encountered Naomi, she was hopeful that Ruth's encounter with Boaz would lead to something promising. But as time passed and she didn't see Boaz do anything, Naomi said, I got to do something. I got to set this in motion. There is a potential here. And she concocts a plan and she initiates a scheme to find rest for her daughter-in-law, Naomi. Uh, And she says with a tender heart, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? That it may be well with you. We see that. Is not Boaz our relative? The question that comes to mind is what kind of rest is Naomi thinking? What, What is she talking about? In the back of our minds, we wonder why Naomi would use the word rest. In our minds, Ruth needs to pick herself up from her misery and charge ahead and make things happen. After all, Ruth is the master of her fate and the captain of her soul. She needs no one, much less a man, to give her rest. She can determine her future. She can reach her dream. She can get it done. Isn't that what the world tells us? As a matter of fact, when us Westerners here read this, we observe the hues of misogyny and a tint that tints the fabric of this scripture. You can almost hear the loud gas, the loud Western gas. Naomi is trying to find rest for Ruth in a man? The reality is that Ruth couldn't pick up herself out of her misery. She was a Moabite foreigner who had no right being in the land. And as a Moabite foreigner, she was unemployable, unmarriable, and undesirable. There were no labor laws, no immigration laws, There were no welfare programs that would protect her. Why? Because she was a Moabite and she was not allowed in the land. And if that weren't enough, she was also a defenseless widow. She was living in one of the most dangerous times during the Israelite nation. No, Ruth was not the master of her own fate, nor the captain of her own soul. She needed help, and she needed to look outside herself for that help. She could have tried to pick up herself by her own bootstraps and would have found herself probably either raped or murdered. She did not have all the resources necessary to provide for herself nourishment and financial provision, let alone any form of security. Ruth did need rest from the worry and anxiousness caused by her lack of security. At this point, it's helpful to pause and ask ourselves, but why the word rest? Why didn't Naomi say, let me seek for you security or let me seek for you comfort, or any other word. Why the word rest? Like in chapter 1 and verse 6, where we encountered the word visited and the theological weight that it carried, we now encounter this word rest 
which also carries some theological weight. What is rest? We have come to think that rest is merely no work, uh, a cessation of activity, mere devotion to leisure. But rest is much more than that. Far more than the cessation of activity, rest is a fear-dispelling comfort. What, what would it be worth if you were on vacation, yet fears gripped your heart? What, what would it be worth if you were on a beautiful island with sandy beaches, yet you were gripped with uncertainty? That would not be rest. Rest is far more than cessation of activity. It's fear-dispelling comfort, safety, tranquility, and enjoyment. We will revisit this concept again later on in the sermon, but for now, Ruth needs to find comfort, safety, tranquility, enjoyment, and also for her fears to be vanquished. She needs rest. And the question is, where is she going to find that rest? As mentioned earlier, with a man named Boaz. That is what Ruth says, is not Boaz our relative? So Naomi unfolds for us the play-by-play action, describing the X's and O's of the concocted plan. Naomi was the coach, Ruth was the quarterback, and after the plan was described... The timeout was done, and with no guarantee, Ruth is ushered into the plan that she has to execute. Sorry for all those football analogies back-to-back. Hopefully they were helpful. If not, um, Eric will probably explain them to you. Not that there is a plan established by Naomi. Now we need to find the place of rest. If you look at verse 6, we see that Ruth goes in faith, obeying her mother-in-law by executing the plan flawlessly. The plan had no guarantee of success, and it had a potential to flop greatly. However, Ruth is undeterred, and she goes to the threshing floor as her mother-in-law commanded her in order to observe Boaz. And she does exactly what her mother-in-law says he's done eating and drinking check he lies down check his feet are uncovered check now ruth has to lie down and this was risky she had to trust that her actions would not be misinterpreted she was a young woman she was a moabite and it was late at night And as we stated earlier, Israel was not the most welcoming for young women, as we can see in the book of Judges. The spiritual condition of the nation of Israel was precarious at best. And a young woman away from home in the middle of the night would not fare well in Israel at that time period. But here is Ruth in full obedience and faith. Now, People make much of what Ruth has done here. They start analyzing what she being seductive, what she's trying to entice Boaz. But I think if you read the narrative in its totality, you see that Ruth 
It's not being seductive. Ruth is declared to be a worthy woman. Boaz is trying to keep her reputation. So I think that although it's a good question to see and investigate if Ruth was being seductive, uh, if you read the narrative, we see clearly that Ruth was a worthy woman and she was not acting inappropriately. It dispels any notion of impropriety on Ruth or Boaz's part. Verse 8 says that Boaz was startled at midnight with the cool breeze of the Palestine countryside. He tries to get more comfortable, fix his blanket, and as he's getting comfortable, he learns that there is a woman next to him. You all know the experience of being scared when you meet something or someone that you weren't expecting, especially if like, you're going around the corner or if someone uh, says hi to you and you're concentrating on an assignment or uh, doing something around the house. Anytime you, fee- you find someone unexpected, you-, you get a little tense. And this is what happens with Boaz, especially because the reason he would stay at the threshing floor during this time is because usually there would be thieves around trying to steal the barley. And he was there to protect it. Part of his task was to ward off thieves. And Boaz asked the obvious question, Who are you? To to which Ruth replies, not only by stating her name, but by making a request. And we see in the last part of verse 9, she says, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Without a doubt, this statement is odd to our ears. What does she mean by spread your wings over your servant? What she means is that she wants Boaz to marry her. It's weird. She's a Moabite. She's in a foreign land. And she's making the proposal. She knows that in Boaz, she might find the refuge that Boaz prayed she would find in chapter 2, verse 12. But she not only wants marriage, she wants redemption. In essence, Ruth is saying, marry me and give me rest. Be my refuge and redeem me. Give me and your people hope, security, safety, and protection. Dispel our fears. Give us rest. But what would give Ruth such a confidence that she wouldn't end up a victim of Israelite, Israelite violence? Why was she so sure that doing this task of going in the middle of the night, uncovering this man's feet, and not end up in the front page of the newspaper, how did she have this trust? Ruth had left the fields of Moab. She left her gods and her people. And she came and she knew that she could find refuge in Boaz because Boaz was different from the other men. Ruth knew that she would be safe in the domain of Boaz. That she would find rest in his house. Notice that this isn't blind faith. 
by Ruth. I don't know if you ever heard of the TV show Married at First Sight. If you have ever watched this show, you would recall that the show is basically uh, three couples that meet and get married on the same day. There is no interaction before, no introduction. All you know is that you're getting married to this person on this day, and the first time you meet them, you marry them. Many of these couples, I mean, end up in divorce because it's obvious they don't know who they're marrying or pledging their faithfulness to. Not here. Ruth knows Boaz. She knows Boaz's character. He is a worthy man, a man of character who is godly and responsible. And we as Christians don't have blind faith either. We don't trust a God whom we don't know, but a God who has revealed himself to us in his Son. We trust a God who has demonstrated his trustworthiness, a God who has shown us his love. That is why Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And in God's providence, Boaz accepts he says in a word of blessing you are blessed because you have not gone after young men of israel and have decided to commit yourself to me and in verse 10 he said you you're, you made this last kindness greater than the first ruth could have married anyone she wanted to But notice that Ruth is concerned not only for herself, she is also concerned for the prosperity of her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi's family and the people of God. Ruth could have just married Boaz and be done. But Ruth wanted more than just to be married to Boaz. She wanted redemption. And for this reason, we see that in the middle of verse 10, he says this Kindness is greater than the first. The loving, incessant, never-ending faithfulness of Ruth towards Naomi is breathtaking. Ruth could have married anyone, but she chose to marry Boaz because it would benefit not only her, but her mother-in-law, Ruth, Naomi. In Boaz... Ruth was going to find her rest. It was not found in no other place but in the sphere, the domain of Boaz. And her rest is a glimpse of the rest that we all need. Boaz could provide momentary and temporal rest, But we want everlasting rest. And here we return to the word that we encountered back in verse 2, the word rest. As I said earlier, rest is much more than the mere cessation of activity. Far more than the cessation of activity, rest is finding ultimate comfort, safety, tranquility, and enjoyment. 
Just imagine if you went on a vacation and did absolutely nothing. No hiking, no reading, no fishing, no exploring, no sightseeing. Absolutely nothing. You just sat there and did nothing. That wouldn't be a vacation. That would be torture. That wouldn't be fun. Rest is never the cessation of activity. Rest is is when you find something that gives you everlasting joy and brings you everlasting comfort. That is where you find rest. And in finding that rest, all your fears are dispelled and all your anxious anxiety is quelled. And deep down inside, we as humans want that rest. That rest that vanquishes fear. That rest that gives us comfort. That rest that is not momentary. That is not passing by. A rest that endures and gives us satisfaction. But if you look back to the book of Genesis, rest is what man was offered for his obedience before the fall. Had Adam obeyed, both him, both he and those who came after him, would have been ushered into eternal rest. For this reason, we yearn so much for rest. We were created for it. Adam, in his sin, forfeited rest. And instead of finding rest, in his disobedience, he found fear. That's why the The first question and answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God, and listen to this, and to enjoy Him forever. That is what brings everlasting rest, enjoyment of God. For this reason we are restless, because we try to find rest, We try to find fear-dispelling comforts in the wrong places. We think that our jobs will bring us rest, and we give them more attention. We think that it is through our vacations that we'll find rest, or our hobbies that will give us a sense of tranquility. But they ultimately fail because they soon pass. We think a well, well-ordered home will satisfy. We think that knowing the latest news, updating, being updated on the last social media post, we think our finances will satisfy. We f- try to find rest in the wrong places. You name it, we are constantly searching for the silver bullet that will give us rest, a place where we find everlasting joy and comfort. And once again, we feel the tension of the preacher from Ecclesiastes from several months ago. Our lives are frustrating because what we seek to gain, the rest we seek to gain in this life, is not offered here in this brief and momentary life. It's not offered in this world. We need something that is transcendent, that is far above us, that is not bound by the temporary nature of this life. Our life is frustrating because the satisfaction that we seek is not of this world. 
And unfortunately, the bubbles of this world excite us and we run after them until they pop in our faces. We say, but I thought that this relationship would bring me joy. I thought that this job would bring me joy, but I find myself even more anxious and more troubled. I thought the finances would just give me that jolt that I need. Now that I have money saved in the bank, I can feel the tranquility, the ease, the peace. And it seems that that doesn't come. But I thought, and you fill in the blank, you and I always find, try to find rest in the wrong places. I used this illustration a while back, but I think it's germane to our conversation this morning. I went to Home Depot trying to buy something that my wife and I saw on, on, online. And when we went, it wasn't there. And when we asked the associate, he said, look, it's not here. It's out of stock here. And it, look, it looks like it's out of stock everywhere. And that's what finding rest in this world is. It's out of stock. You can't find it here. Trying to gain the fear, dispelling comfort and tranquility, the rest we so desperately desire, the satisfaction we want, the peace, the love, the justice, the calmness we so much yearn for in this life is forever out of stock. In this life under the sun. Then if we can't find it here, where will we find it? Well, I'm glad you asked. We find it in the triune God, the one who transcends time and space. For this Jesus For this reason, Jesus cries out from the Galilean countryside, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest, the rest for your souls. David, speaking of Christ, said, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. That is satisfaction. That is enjoyment. That is contentment. And why was David satisfied? Because the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. The word for still in that verse is the same word for rest that we find in verse 2 of our scripture. That is the rest that we want. That is the tranquility that we want. But it's only found in God. It is no wonder that the command that God gives most to His people is not love the Lord, it's not love your neighbor, it's not do good, is do not fear. That is the most common command that the Lord gives His people because we are prone to fear and we are prone to anxious hearts. Don't be afraid, O worm of Jacob, O little Israel, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witness. Is there any God beside me? No, There is no other rock. I know not one, says the Lord. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. I know the end from the beginning. There is nothing outside of God's control. Everything is working under His divine providence. And therefore, as Christians, we do not need to be afraid and we can find rest in this God of all comfort. It doesn't matter what you are fearing this morning. 
It is fear nonetheless. And God is commanding you and I not to fear. For if you have found security in Christ, there is no reason to fear. We do not know what's going to happen in our world, but whatever happens is under the control of the God who loves us and cares for us. Again, this is, has become a favorite um, question and answer for me in these last several days, but I think it's necessary for us to once again be reminded of this truth in the Heidelberg Catechism question. One, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Look at this comfort that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. My dear brothers and sisters, that is rest. That is comfort. That is enjoyment. That is true satisfaction. You are secure in Christ. And just as Naomi sought rest for Ruth in the marriage of Boaz, we also will find our final and future and abiding rest and nothing less than the marriage supper of the Lamb. But you ask, how do we know? How do we know that, there, that Ruth is going to find that rest? Well, our section, our, our, our verses end with a promise. Bo- Boaz tells Ruth in verse 11, look at that word. What does he say in verse 11? My daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. He tells Ruth, informs her that there's someone who has first dibs in the process of redemption. But why tell Ruth not to fear if the redemption is not, if Boaz is not guaranteed to redeem her? Because no matter who redeems Ruth, redemption is guaranteed. By God's grace, it is through Boaz that the redemption comes, but he was going to make sure that whether it was him or the man who had first dibs, Ruth would be secured. And that's what he makes clear to her. Ruth lays at his feet until morning and she leaves. But as Ruth leaves, Boaz, in respect for her, protects her reputation and offers sustenance for her mother-in-law, Naomi. Again, Boaz is going above and beyond the requirements of the law, providing protection for this family. Ruth comes back at the verse 17. She comes back and she says that these six measures of barley he gave to me gives her a report of what Boaz has said to her, and Naomi tells Ruth, wait, which in essence means don't fear, because Boaz won't rest until Ruth's redemption 
is accomplished. This is the assurance that we have. As we wait for the unfolding of our eternal rest, we must wait. Our fear dispelling and restful redemption is assured in Christ, even if we get only glimpses of it now. It is guaranteed. You might ask, how is it that I find rest in God this morning? How will I find fear dispelling comfort in God this morning? You wait. You trust His promises. You gather with God's people as we're doing this morning, and you rehearse the truth of the gospel, that God is for you in Christ and not against you. You realize that God doesn't really give you specific answers to the daily conundrums you face, but he gives you everlasting promises that you can hold on to tightly and take to the bank at any time. God doesn't give us answers, he gives us promises, and it is those promises that we trust. So as we wait for our final and full redemption, we wait, we trust. That just like Boaz was going to guarantee the redemption of Ruth, our God has committed himself to us and will complete what the good work that he began. What are you afraid of this morning? What causes your heart to quake in fear? Whatever it is, the God of the universe already knows what it is. The peace, the tranquility, the joy, the comfort, the fear-dispelling rest that you want is only found in God. In your flight from fear, don't run to things, run to Him, run to His promises. For He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. In God alone do we find rest for our weary souls. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you because this is true and lasting rest. I pray this morning that we would find rest in these promises. That just as you were working for the rest of Ruth through the interactions with Naomi and Boaz, you are working for our eternal rest. Help us have that abiding confidence as, the peop- of, as your people of old had. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.